Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to Nick Rowe, who is the author of The Realities of Completing a PhD, How to Plan for Success. And in this episode, we talk about challenges that PhD students often come up against within the PhD process. And we also talk about how to set yourself up for success, how to put yourself in the driving seat of your own PhD. So I do hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Nick. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Welcome from Lapland. I love it. (laughs) It's chilly. I bet it is. I bet it is. But I have all sorts of fantasies about how beautiful it is. And uh, so, yes, please don't disavow me of that. I kind of let me let me think how gorgeous it is. And and because I get to enjoy that without knowing how um, cold it is. Cold is not good for me. Um, so thank you so much for um, being here. And um, I reached out to you because I came across um, an article that you'd written and I just loved the way it was kind of PhD real talk. And I was like, yes, talking about difficulties, talking about um, well, the realities. And that's what we're going to talk about today in terms of PhD study. Um and so thank you for responding so generously and saying, yes, you'd be happy to come and, and talk more. So I always start with asking people about their own experience of um, graduate study and how they kind of arrived in the place they are today. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, my personal journey uh, was all completely back to front, actually. <laughs> I came from a, a career in healthcare. I managed operating theatres. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of wrote my first sort of clinical texts before I'd even been to university. Um, did things all the sort of wrong way round. Um, and so I was teaching uh, at Bournemouth University and I went to a conference once and I presented a poster and everybody quite happily just walk past it and I was thinking you know conference posters are a big thing and I'm sure that there's a better way of getting my information out there and so I started to investigate that and that led me into scientific communication Um, and so I worked in that area exploring uh, posters Um, And when I moved to Finland, I wanted to carry on the research. Uh, And the easiest way for me to do that um, was to do it via a PhD. Um, So I'm I'm fairly unique in my field. Uh, There's not many people look at the things that I look at uh, in scientific communication. Uh, And so I was looking for a university that would... Uh, allow me to conduct the sort of research and give me sort of basic resources that I needed um, in terms of sort of affiliation, library and resource access, that sort of thing. Um, But beyond that, I didn't need any specialist 
are you know sort of advice or resources uh and so i was quite lucky i could just sort of choose my local sort of university uh and followed it from there and how has it been for you um it, <laughs> uh, overall it went fine i i did my phd part time um i sort of work as an academic and uh i also do uh lots of sort of uh language editing uh, for people uh, in sort of papers and books and that sort of thing, um, because I'm sort of Johnny Foreigner here. Uh, so that sort of keeps me busy. Um, I had a, a supervisor appointed to me, um, and it turned out that sort of their experience and interest in my field sort of wasn't quite what um, I had hoped for. Uh, and so I fairly much went it alone uh, nice. for the entire time. But I was all right doing that because it was my sort of research topic and area. Uh, and I was really the expert in the field. And so I just sort of got on with it uh, and then got uh, a second supervisor just to sort of finish off my sort of PhD process and the examinations and vivas and that sort of thing. Yes, I think that's not unusual, is it, that you have a supervisor that isn't exactly in your field. Um, and that can be great, actually, because, as you say, if you if you have a sense of, well, this is, you know, I'm ha this is my field, I'm going to go and research that. And that this person is just there to kind of check methodology, to, to kind of to, to look out, um, uh, uh, kind of give a sort of overview eye. Um but some people really also struggle because somebody is outside their field um, and so they feel very alone. So I think that there's there's that can be a, a very challenging experience, but can also be a positive one. And so I'm glad that your one was a positive one. Um, so talking about challenging experiences, then let's get into it in terms of you've got this fantastic book that's coming out called The Realities of Completing a PhD and How to Plan for Success. In, in which you start to unpack the realities of what it means to be a PhD student, because we just like I have fantasies of Lapland. <laughs> People have fantasies of um, what it's going to be like to um, complete a PhD. So what are you talking about then when, when we're coming into the realities of completing a PhD? Um, I, I, th I think you've sort of struck... Uh, a nail on the head there. Uh, lots of us do have fantasies about uh, what it is to do a PhD, what a PhD is, how it's going to be, the process, what will come out the other end of it, mm. you know, what it'll do for you, what it'll do for others, you know, and that sort of thing. And we, we have fantasies about them because there isn't any real information readily available that's out there. Mm. And mm. so lots of people sit there and start from the premise of, oh, I want to do a PhD. And you'll say, well, what in? And they say, well, I don't know yet. You know, and yes. so they're driven by the PhD process. Um, most of us, of which who knew nothing about. Yes. Um, and we sort of learn as we go. And one of the falling points, I think, 
uh, that people first meet is when they realize that a PhD is not a taught program. They expect it to be the next step up. I did my undergraduate degree. I did my graduate degree. And this is just the big, big version, you know, the crowning version, you know. Uh, And then they get to university and nobody really wants to teach them. Nobody's really bothered about the courses they do or how how well they do as long as they don't fail them Um, because that isn't the objective of a PhD. And so that's the first sort of bubble, I think, that gets burst when people arrive at university to do their PhD. And it's one of the things that makes them feel quite isolated and alone and possibly unsupported. Yes, it's, I think it's very disorientating for people, isn't it? And I think, yes, not to be taught and also to have to sort of set your own homework. Um, and that also means you don't get the same sense of achievement because nobody set you something that they're going to mark. Um, then you've got to set something and you're not necessarily going to get that, you know, put in your new, put in your piece of work, get back a kind of glowing mark, which is what they will be used to in terms of going through the system. And it all takes longer too because somebody else isn't setting the work for them. They've got to set it for themselves or we have to set it for ourselves. And that can be really a very difficult journey because it's it's slower. And I think that can be really disorientating too. Yes, we we hear a lot about this sort of imposter syndrome. Uh, I've I've never had it myself. Uh, (laughs) Fantastic. Syndrome. And one of the things comes from precisely what you were saying. We end up marking ourselves because nobody else is interested in marking us at the beginning, only at the end. And we do something that we think is brilliant, you know, um, and we bring it in front of somebody and they can't really see the point of it or they don't see it the same way that we do. They don't evaluate it the same way necessarily. And it makes people question themselves more. Uh, and it's quite sort of destabilizing for people, yeah. Yeah. you know, when they arrive and they find that that process, you know, uh, is is the one that they're facing. Uh, but when you do make these achievements when you do find out a piece of information or come to a conclusion that nobody else has come to or have a question that is not being asked you know um it's a really really good thing and so sort of you get used to sort of patting yourself on the back because there's nobody else to do it yes Yes. Well, as you say, this is the sense of you being the pioneer. And that is the that's the joy. It's the it's the lonely road, but it is also the the joy and the reward of that. Absolutely. What else then about the realities of it? So it's it's tough because it's not the same. um, it, It isn't a kind of progression. It's a very different kind of experience. Um, we've always already talked about it being isolating, disorientating. What else? I, you- I have gathered together our evidence from sort of uh, the USA, from Australia, from Europe, from the UK and everything. And it's all about um, the first part of the book is all about uh, 
completion rates, the realities of finishing a PhD, what PhD does for you, are your realities of your PhD helping you in employment and gainful employment. Um, you know, and the statistical sort of evidence is not really good. Mm. Um, the, um, the USA has a 56% completion rate. Uh, the UK has a 79 point something completion rate. Um, Australia has uh, 80%. Uh, if we go down to somewhere like Kenya, their last published national figures were 11%. What? people who do a phd there actually complete it wow and wow. nobody is prepared for that no but nobody also hears um about these people that drop out we hear lots about sort of hundreds of people complete you know a phd at our university every year and find sort of you know employment afterwards you know um but we don't hear about the people that don't so whilst, let's say, the UK has got a 79% uh, completion rate, there are universities in the UK that, according to published figures, have got completion rates of 14%. Wow. Uh, and so depending on where you are, you know, um, you might have a very, very different experience. You know? and, and do we know why people are dropping out? Well, we're, we're sort of trying to sort of investigate that more now. Uh, people have got a habit of dumping higher education um, figures all together. And so we talk about uh, students dropping out of higher education and they don't look at PhD students as, as a specific sort of field. Right. Um, but... When I have looked at different studies that have studied uh, PhD students as a group, um, the top ones, the majority uh, of the reasons are directly related to the supervision process. Right. Uh, and whilst they say that things like um, economic issues are uh, life, work, balance, uh, social commitments, things like that are uh, all beyond a university's control and very subjective. We're all going to have very different experiences uh, and perspectives on things. Um, the one that they can control is the student-supervisor relationship. And in the data that's been published, uh, on surveys of why people have problems and what they have problems with. Uh, that's the biggest area, um, is that, because the student uh, or the supervisor is the direct link and sometimes the only link that a student has to the university. And so it's, it's a very focal sort of point. Uh, and it's something that is very difficult for the supervisors and the students both of them together, um, but there's not much work on there at the moment. No, and I have to say, as you say that, that doesn't surprise me. I think, as you know, I, I do kind of want to work, one work kind of coaching PhD students and all, so much of that work, so many of those conversations are about the relationship with the supervisor. And um, it can be really difficult 
And as you say, from both sides, I think, also from supervisors finding it difficult. Um, and what what do you think we, this is a, I guess, a kind of unfair question, but do you think there's anything that we can do about that? What kind of interventions do you think could be made into that? Well, uh, one of the, the biggest things is people say all oh, these interventions and when we look at um the main thing that sort of comes out of this i'm, I'm writing a paper at the moment uh, and it's all about uh the stress that is really experienced by phd students uh one of the realities of being a phd student is that the incidence of moderate to severe um anxiety and depression diagnosable um is 10 times greater than is seen in the general population yes 10 and times we quite happily say oh but that's the perils of studying at this level you know it's an awfully demanding process but when you start to unpack the experiences and the journeys and the circumstances that people enter into you can begin to explain all of these causative things and one of the things that I find quite, quite amazing is that the supervisors and the administrators of universities have pretty much all been through the same process. Yes. And yet the process has changed very little in the last 50 years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good about learning from our own experiences and trying to make things better. And so we try and manage the results of these problems that sort of crop up. Um, and counselling is a very popular way to go. They say, oh, you're having a hard time, go and talk to somebody. Uh, and, and my perspective is that, well, perhaps we should try and prevent this hard time happening in the first place. Absolutely, absolutely. To look at the systemic issue rather than deal with, because also the other thing that counselling does is it puts the... Um, difficulty with that person you've got a problem you need to go to counseling actually maybe the system has the problem maybe it's not you you're just trying to deal with something that's not working well this is this is something that i i saw during my own phd journey uh not from a personal experience but because i'm living in the middle of nowhere um i joined lots and lots of different PhD support groups and forums and that sort of thing. So I could exchange sort of views and ask questions and sort of communicate with other people because I had nobody else to talk to. Um, but I saw so many people having hard times about stuff that they shouldn't have to have a hard time with. You know, it was quite simple stuff, quite elementary stuff, stuff that you can see coming and you can prepare for. Uh, and so that's one of the things that led me to sort of write this book and look into this area um, in addition to my own sort of research area um, was to prepare people better for doing a PhD so that they are not surprised by what they bump into when they arrive and they can deal with it themselves and become more independent and more resilient. You know, for me, resilience doesn't mean strength. Resilience means independence and the ability to just deal with things yourself. Mm. 
And so if, if um, what would you be your advice then in terms of starting off on that journey um, and, and getting ready? Um, I, I think my sort of advice on that is, first of all, be organised. You are your sort of best resource. You had the idea, you had the motivation to do a PhD. Something led you towards that. And it was probably something that you had seen that somebody else had not seen. Um, And so if you're confident in that and want to explore it, you know, then uh, coming back to sort of my army days, we had uh, a saying called the seven Ps, uh, and I hope you'll sort of edit this if needed. <laughs> no, no swearing, please. We've said it's clean on Apple. <laughs> and planning prevents poor performance. And so it's about being organised, planning, going step to step to step and seeing it through until you've achieved what you wanted to achieve. It might just be finding a piece of information. It might be getting your next stage of the PhD process sorted. It might be publishing an article, you know, whatever it is, you know, um, it's plan it, use your resources, find out your information and start putting it together and produce an output. Um, If you can get into the habit of doing that, you can apply that to pretty much anything that you come across. You will find that you suddenly need to know how to be able to program in Python, or you need to start to look at uh, globalization. And when we look at our bookshelves after our PhDs, we've got books and papers and articles on all sorts of fields. And to go in and suddenly get or become an expert in a small area to be able to explore another one. You know, uh, and for me, that's that's one of the joys of a PhD. You don't need to be sort of taught. You can pretty much teach yourself. You can, is, yes. Well, that's it, isn't it? That PhD was traditionally the license to teach. So you are learning to be a teacher by teaching yourself. You kind of you do come into that. Absolutely. I can see that. Um, and I love this sense of just putting yourself in the driving seat um, cause I think there is a lot of sense of feeling disempowered. And if we can encourage people to feel the sense of their own power, their own resourcefulness, as you say, their own skills, their own interests that's brought them into this area. I think, um, that ha- perhaps can help sh- shift perspective for people. Yes. Um, w- when we go to university, we have these great expectations of other people. Mm. No, they're these big centres of learning. The experts are there. They're so, so expert and so much in demand that they don't have time for us. And we're at the sort of, you know, the little sort of bottom end of the ladder, you know. Um, And the fact is, you are your own expert. (laughs) You know, it's your PhD. You're going to be producing something that nobody else has done. Yeah. And so the way that you go about it and the questions that you ask and the depths or the lengths that you go to to find your information to try and prove your point 
you know, is something that you can step away from at the end and you can be genuinely proud of having done it. Whether it does what you hoped it would do, whether it gives you a door into academia or it gives you a door into industry or, or whatever, or if it's just a personal achievement, just something you wanted to do for, your, for itself, you know, um, it should be something you can be proud of. And the skills that you pick up along the way, you can apply to lots of other things. So, you know, um, yes, it's, you have to own your own PhD. I think that would be my top tip. Own it. Own your own PhD. I'm writing that down. Own your own PhD. That's a that's a good one. And you've 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 preempted my next question because I was going to ask for your top tip, and you've already done it. Do you see? That's how much you're in the driving seat, Nick. You're just you've you're you're giving us the example as we go. Um, thank you so much for that. Is is there another top tip you'd like to offer? Is that that's that's yeah. a pretty good one. Yeah, um, a, a top tip is don't be afraid to ask the question that everybody else is afraid to ask. Right. When you see something happening in front of you, yeah, and it needs to be questioned, then that's something that we take on as academics and researchers, as teachers, you know, um, we have a responsibility to ask these questions because if we don't ask them, if we keep applauding the emperor's new clothes, nothing moves forward. Mm. And with the area of PhD study, um, there is dem demonstrable good that comes out of it, but there's also demonstrable harm. And I believe that if we do ask these questions of ourselves if we as a system if we look in the mirror are uh, and you know sort of face what we are currently doing then we'll put ourselves in a better position to improve things for the future uh, and so use your own experiences use your own observations ask the difficult questions and when you come up with an answer you'll feel quite impressed with it, even if nobody else is patting you on the back. Mm. That's great advice. That's great advice. And and I know that you're living that because of the questions that I, I see you in your writing and um, in this publication that's coming out. Thank you for that. Thank you for the, the work that you're doing in that, in asking difficult questions and raising issues um, that a lot of other people would be happy to kind of brush under the carpet, that actually you're kind of bringing that out into the open um so there will be links to the to the book and to your um articles in the show notes thank you so much nick for taking time to be with us today thank you all for listening speak to you again next time thank you very much indeed for having me thank you, thank you.